0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the house of God. It's good to see you. Today, I want to talk to you about what it means to inspire, what it means to be an inspiration. Because do you know that church is not just there so that you have something to do on a Sunday? Because otherwise, you'd be bored at home because you're not at school and you're not at work. There's a reason why God plants churches, that there's churches all around. And every single church that bears the mark of Jesus Christ, where Jesus is the head, God has a mandate upon that church to fulfill. A purpose, a reason why he's planted them where he's planted them. He gives them a vision to accomplish in society where they are. So Open Church has a vision, and we have a purpose for existence. But you know it's so important for us to know what our purpose is? What our vision is as a church. Because if you don't know it, you definitely won't accomplish it. And you will never know if you're going in the right direction or the wrong direction, right? It's the same for our lives individually, but also for us as a church. So the message today that I'm sharing with you is called to inspire. That's the title. And our vision statement, I hope that most of you know this one. And if you don't, then I know we have some visitors here today. And uh, this will be your first time to hear it. But our vision as a church is we inspire people to experience God and imitate Jesus. And I want you to say that together with me on the count of three. One, two, three. We inspire people to experience God and imitate Jesus. One more time. We inspire people to experience God and imitate Jesus. All right. Well, if we're called to inspire people, it's important we know what it means to inspire, right? And if we're called to inspire, what does this word mean? It's actually a very fascinating word because it's an old word. Back from the 14th century, it first came into use. And the word inspire comes from the Latin, the Latin root word for it means to breathe or to blow upon. Okay? And this metaphor is a powerful one because it speaks of the very breath of a divine or a supernatural force asserted or at work. So the word inspire means actually also to inhale, to take in breath. That's to inspire. Do you know what expire means? When someone expires, that's another word for they've died, the breath has left them, right? Inspire is the opposite, you're full of life, okay? So when this word first came into use, um, it still has the same meaning in in, in our language today. Sometimes words change meaning or their emphasis changes. But this word means to influence, to move, or to guide by divine or supernatural influence or action. You know, there's that scripture that says in the Bible, it says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching and rebuking and for many other things, right? Where it says all Scripture is inspired by God, that word inspired, in some translations of the Bible, it says God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's like the Word of God, the black writing on the, the, on you, in your Bible, is just letters in a book. But when God comes and breathes life into those words, the Word of God becomes living and active. The Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. That's a picture of the Word of God. But it's even more powerful than a two-edged sword because it can pierce into the areas of your life that no sword can actually go. Where it even divides between the motives, the intentions, the purposes of your heart the word of God can do that. It goes deeper than you. And sometimes we don't even know our own motives and why we do what we do. The word of God can expose that. So this is what the word inspire means. It's the breath of God that comes in and brings alive. Another use of this word, as we were looking at here, is to influence and to move somebody. When you see something, you become inspired to want to and motivated to want to emulate or follow an example, okay? So, for example, we have artists in the house here. If they're inspired by a particular artist, it means you're influenced by that artist in a way that animates and intensifies your work. And when you do your drawings and you do your beautiful artwork... Oftentimes you can say, yeah, I've been inspired by this person and that person. Why? Because you've seen something that they've done and it's motivated you to do what they do. Okay? So you see something in another person that inspires you to action and it motivates you. So, there are a lot of people that we look up to in life. There are many well known people who uh, who are alive today, also, people who've passed away um, that we looked up to as role models who inspire us. Think of people like Mother Teresa or Mandela or people like that. Maybe you've got sports icons. We have footballers in here who look up to Manu and uh, all of those different teams. You got your favorite players. <laughs> All right. And um, sometimes when your teams have won, you are dancing with the biggest smile on your face. And sometimes when I meet you, I just know your teams have lost because there's no smile to find on that face. Okay. So this is how we get inspired. There's one guy by the name of Michael Jordan. We have a basketball player in the house. I don't know if somebody's here today, but if you know anything about basketball, you will know who Michael Jordan is. And this And I just want to share about his life. In the first training session that he went to as an um, 18-year-old, he was a rookie for the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan took part in a mini game where the losing team would have to run laps as a punishment. So Jordan practically single-handedly took the team to an 8-0 lead, only for the coach to switch him to the other side. Unfazed, his new team scored 10 points without conceding, and they won the game 10 to 8. This attitude of overcoming any challenge he was faced with led him to a hugely successful career in basketball, which was reflected by one of his most famous quotes. I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. All right, this is one of his famous quotes. He's actually turning 60 years next year. He's a retired basketball player now. But do you know his worth? His net worth at the moment is 17 billion US dollars. A guy who is passionate about hitting a ball around and scoring into it. And people loved him. He was so inspiring. And this is what he did with his life. That's an inspiration, Right. How about a politician? I think many of you know about Winston Churchill. He was the prime minister in the UK during the World War, Second World War, where the largest global conflict was of all time. His talent for inspirational speeches kept the British population going through these bleak years, with his never-say-die attitude spreading throughout the nation like wildfire. Churchill's belief in resilience and perseverance was summed up with one of his most famous quotes, which we would all do well to live by. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. The courage to continue is what counts. Amen. So if you're successful today and you look at your life, you're successful. That's not the end. But neither is failure fatal if you feel like a failure. It's courage to continue that counts. He was an inspiration to an entire nation and led them to victory despite all the odds that they faced. We could continue mentioning many people that are inspiring us in our lives today. But let's talk about Open Church. We as Open Church are called to inspire Who is open church? It's me and it's you. All right? We are open church. Can you turn to your neighbor, please, and say, you are open church. And the next question is, how do I inspire others? Because that's our vision as a church, to inspire others. Ask yourself that question right now. How do I inspire others? Let's turn and look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 to 11. Let me just go over a bit so you can see the scripture better. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 to 11. The Bible says, "Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do that They should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do that with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Did you see in the beginning there, it didn't say some of you have been given gifts. It says each of you. That means you right there where you are. Whether you recognize and realize that you have gifts or not. The Bible says you have. God has given gifts to each one and we've all received them. And God's given them for a purpose. He's given them to you so that you can serve others. That's the reason. So that we can be faithful stewards of the grace that God has given you. So there's this gift that God has given you and given into your hand. And you are called to be a faithful steward of that gift. we've talked uh, talked in the last few weeks in our series of Un- Un- unstrapped about being faithful stewards of our finances. We also need to be faithful stewards of the gifting that God has placed in us because that is an expression of God's grace in our midst. So what God what gift has God entrusted to you? for his stewardship. As you look at your life today, what are those gifts that you have? When you can recognize in your life and say, yeah, I'm good at this. And God's given me a, a talent and a gift to do this and this. If you're in the house, some of you already know what those are. And maybe some of you are here and you're saying, I don't know what I'm good at. Some some people could be in that spot. And you know, if you're thinking that this morning, you're not the only one who's thought like that. There's a guy by the name of Moses in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 4. At one time, he was very successful. He was a prince. He lived in Egypt. He had all the wealth and all the um, prestige and all the uh, recognition as a prince in the Egyptian palace. But he murdered somebody. And as a result, there was a price on his head and he ran away in shame. He ran into the desert, and he lived there in the back desert. He married this woman, Sephora, and he looked after the sheep of his father-in-law. So imagine being like Moses, a son of privilege, and you've come down to this place where you own nothing. You're, even the work that you're doing, you're just looking after your father-in-law's sheep. And I don't know whether he thought, I think he thought he was quite a failure, I think I might feel like a failure if I was in his shoes. And one day he was out looking after these sheep, and he saw a bush that was on fire. But it wasn't burning up. There were flames, but it wasn't burning up. It was just, and he thought, this is a strange sight. I'm going to go over there and see what is going on. And as he approached that bush, suddenly this voice, the voice of God came out of that bush. And God told him, this is holy ground take off your shoes for where you're standing is holy ground. And Moses had an encounter with God that day. God told him, my people in Egypt are suffering and I'm calling you to go and bring them out of that land of bondage and take them to the promised land. And if you remember that story, Moses was very reluctant. He was like, oh God, I don't know how to speak. I can't, I don't know. And he kept having all these excuses and I don't know. And I can't, and I don't, I can't do anything. And God said to him, but what have you got in your hand? And the only thing Moses had was a stick, a staff that he used um, as he was shepherding the sheep. And God said, yeah, that's, that's okay. That's good enough. If you offer that to me, I can use that. And many of you might look at the gift that you have today and say, well, It's not worth anything. Even if I tried to sell this stick, I wouldn't get any money for it. But when Moses gave that into God's hand, do you know the first thing God said to him, throw it on the ground. And when he did, the rod, the staff became a snake. And then God told him, pick up the snake by the tail. I'm not sure I would even have enough courage to do that. But he did that. He picked up the snake by the tail, and then it turned back to a rod. And later on in this uh, chapter of chapter 4, in verse 20, This staff of Moses's, this stick of Moses's, suddenly in verse 20, it says, and as um, Moses obeyed God and went back to Egypt, he took in his hand the staff of God. It was no longer the staff of Moses. It had now changed. It became the staff of God. And you know, this is the amazing thing. When you have an encounter with God and God inspires, breathes breath into that gifting that you have. Suddenly it begins to flourish and bloom and do amazing things. And a simple stick even parted the Red Sea. And it did many miracles. Because God, when he inspires, when he breathes life into your gift, that God has given you through his grace, you can do amazing things and become a person of influence who inspires other people. Well, you might look at your gifts this morning and say, well, I don't know if God can really use my kind of gift because it's not sort of the kind of gift that, um, yeah, I don't know how God would want to use that. You know, God is so creative. He gives us many different gifts. You saw Sinead this morning. God has blessed her with a gift of dance, and she blessed and ministered today with that gift. God has given us so many gifts. Think of somebody like Samson in the Bible. What was his special gift? His strength. Who would have thought that a bodybuilder could be used by God? Yeah, that's just how God is. He's creative. He can use any gift that he's given you, and he wants to use it. None of our gifts are to be despised or looked down upon. If God can use a stick, he can use your gift too. Think about someone like Esther in the Bible. What was her gift? Beautiful. She was beautiful. Who would have thought that your beauty could save an entire nation from extinction, but that 's what happened when she gave her gift to the use in god 's hands. God used her to save an entire nation well maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying well i, I can 't play the bass guitar like parson or i can't i can 't sing like um, like uh, eva doesn't matter you 're not supposed to be like them god's given you your unique gift that he wants you to activate in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ. So what gift do you have this morning? If you're willing to yield your gift to God, whatever that gift is, even if it looks like a small thing, if you're willing to yield it to God, he will breathe his life into that gift and it will expire. It will inspire others through your life and your gifting, to experience God and to imitate Jesus. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 1 says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So your gifting is a grace upon your life. And the Bible says, do not take God's grace in vain. That means that when God has gifted you, He's graced you. Grace is unmerited favor. You don't deserve that favor on your life. But because he loves you, he has put that favor upon you. He's gifted you with that. And the Bible encourages us, do not take his grace in vain. How do we take his grace in vain? That's when you sit with all these beautiful, unique gifts and you don't activate them in your life. All right? So we shouldn't take his grace in vain. I'm going to ask the host to come with the pieces of paper, because what we're going to do is hand out a piece of paper to you today, and there's some pens as well. There's not enough pens to go around, so we'll start from the front, and when you've written on your piece of paper, you're going to pass them on until everyone's had a pen and been able to write on a piece of paper. What I'd like you to do is to think for a moment about what are the gifts that God has graced you with, okay? And I want you to write that gift. You don't need to write your name on the paper, but I want you to write the gifts that you believe God has given you, that God has graced you with. Maybe the gift is still in a very uh, embryonic form. You haven't ever really used it, but you know in your heart that God's gifted me and called me to do this and that. And what we're going to do is we're going to write the gift on that piece of paper. And later on, as we get to the end of the service, we're going to have communion together and we're going to make an opportunity. I'll put a basket up here in the front. Once you've written your gifts on that piece of paper, I just want you to fold the paper and keep it with you until the end when we do communion. What we're going to do is with that gift that God has graced you with, we don't want to take it in vain. So this altar is the place where we do transactions with God on a Sunday. Okay, And when we do communion at the end, I want you to be coming up to the front with that paper in your hand and put it in the basket. And as you do that, that is your demonstration to God that I'm giving you my gift, God. Breathe your life upon this gift. Breathe your favor, the breath of God into it, so that that gift will come alive and that I will become an inspiration as I grow in that gift and calling that God has upon my life. Okay, so I just want you, once you've written on that piece of paper, you can give the pens back to the host and just fold that paper and hold on to it until we get to the end of the message this morning, okay? And we're going to carry on now and look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God, God's Son, that we will become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the, to the full and complete standard of Christ. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. All right. Just see the beginning of this scripture again, because God has given different giftings in the body. Your leaders in this church have different giftings by the grace of God that are upon their lives. But do you know what their role is, their responsibility? It is to equip. You, so you can do the work of the ministry and build up the church, which is the body of Christ, okay? So it's not, you you might have seen other things in other churches, but this is the word of God, and this is what we want to practice. We as your leaders, our responsibility is to equip you. And this is why I'm talking about you guys being an inspiration. It's not enough for your leaders to be an inspiration in your lives. You yourself need to be an inspiration because that's what God has called us to do. Let's look at the last verse um, here again, verse 16. Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work. Your gifting is that special work. It helps as each of you do your giftings, it helps the other parts of the body grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Isn't that a beautiful picture? A body that is healthy and growing. And full of love. How does that come about? When each one does what God has uniquely called them to do. And your gift strengthens your friend's gift. And together we build each other up until we are a healthy body. Glorifying God in the way that we live. So my dream as pastor, together with our leadership team. It is our desire to see all of you activated in your giftings. Each and every one of you. That you take ownership of the vision that God has given us. Fulfilling a role, growing and flourishing in the house of God. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. So God has already, with that gifting, he's graced you with. There are also works that he's prepared for you to do, and God wants to activate that gifting, breathe life into it, so that you can fulfill those works that he's called you to do. And open church will only look like the open church God wants it to be. God, open church will only fulfill its mandate as each one of us do our part. So we'll be starting a new series next week already, and it's called Dining with the King. And here's an opportunity for all of you to get involved. Next Sunday already, our women women are doing the first Sunday. Then the youth are doing a Sunday. And the men are doing a Sunday. And we're giving you opportunity to put your gifts to good use. And if you come to this church every Sunday and you're like, shame, this stage looks so boring. I really just wish I could just do something. There you go. There's a gift identified Next Sunday is your opportunity to light up the stage with your creativity or come and pray. Come and help with the setup. Do you realize, guys, some of you get out of bed quarter to nine and you show up here half past nine when we've already started. Do you realize that every Sunday there are people who get up as early as four o'clock on a Sunday morning to pray for you before you show up? And then they come here at 7 o'clock to put up this sheet, to put all the cables, to put all the instruments. They come to pray. They come to set up in the cafe. This is your opportunity. We want to encourage you. Women, next Sunday you're on. Come early. If others can get up at 4 o'clock to pray for you, I'm sure you can get up and be here for 7 o'clock on Sunday. Come and join in the intercession. Come and join with the setup and the decor. Come and learn. Maybe you've never touched a cable in your life. This is your chance, woman. Come and our tech team are ready to show you how to connect the cables. Are you, tech team? Are you ready for the women? All right. Good. Women, are you ready? Woo! All right. And the next Sunday, it'll be the youth's opportunity and the next one, the men's. And this is your opportunity, guys. Through this series of Dining with the King, let's activate those gifts and let's Fill the house with the glory of God as you put your gifts into use in God's kingdom. We believe in a church of diversity, generations and cultures united under a clear vision, a church inspiring the next generation to walk in a real and personal relationship with God. If God breathes on your gift and it flourishes, we have to ask this question Do we get proud? or do we stay humble? Do we look down on others, or do we serve? And you know, our attitude in all of this is everything, because God can have gifted you amazingly, all right? And when you bring that gift to God, and God inspires it and breathes life into it, suddenly people notice. Why? Because you're an influencer. You're inspiring people. People notice, and they wow, look at that. Now, what happens often at this stage is we're like, yeah, look at me. I'm pretty good. And then we start drawing the attention to ourselves instead of to Jesus. And this is where our attitude is so important because God's not called us to inspire others to imitate us. We are called to inspire people to experience God and imitate Jesus. And so our attitude in this is everything, because once your gift is recognized, and once you start flowing in that gift, and people start saying, wow, you're good at that, do you remain humble? Do you serve with that gift, or do you start lording it over other people? If others want to come and say, wow, I'd love to learn to do that as well, do you say, no, it's fine, I'm doing it, I don't need your help? Because we're all here. Guys, if you are gifted, especially in this church, and you've been doing the same job for a long time, it's time to train someone else up to do it. Because if you work yourself out of a job, there's plenty of other new things to learn and to grow in, okay? So let's not become possessive of whatever it is that God gives us to do in the church. Let's always inspire others to learn and to grow from us, with us. So our attitude is everything. Philippians 2, 3 says... Don't be jealous or proud, but be humble and consider others more important than yourself. Okay? The Bible, when we were reading in Ephesians chapter 4 about the body of Christ growing, becoming healthy and growing, it said in the end, and full of love. Love is such a key component in the body of Christ, as we put our gifts to good use in God's kingdom. Because if the love of God is not present in the way that we do things, even our giftings become of no value. If you look in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church there. And the whole chapter, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So he lists them, and he explains what these gifts are. And then he says, eagerly desire these gifts. So God wants you to have these gifts activated and working in your life. But then we come to chapter 13 of Corinthians. And there, Paul says, but now I'll show you an more excellent way. And that is the way of love. Let's just look at 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 to 3. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't have love, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, And even sacrificed my body. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So here it is I'm talking about the attitude that we have when we use the gifts that God has given us. If we become proud and arrogant, your gift becomes of no value because all you do is draw attention to yourself and not attention to Jesus. The Word of God says that they will know that we are Christians by our our love. They will know that we're Christians by our love. God is love. And when we um, use our gifts and we influence and inspire with our gifts from a heart of love where we serve one another, you are pointing to your Father and not to yourself. People will be inspired by you, and then they'll look to God. And that's what we want to do. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about honoring him, giving glory to him. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So there's so many things that God encourages us to do in the Word of God. But here he says, above it all, above it all, this is key. This, don't forget this one. This is so important. Because if you don't get this one, you can have the greatest gift in the world. You can be even greater than um, any of these past people that we, we speak about, like uh, Michael Jordan and, and Winston Churchill and many others. If you don't have love, it's of no value so above all god calls us to love one another deeply and this is where i want to end today because the bible says in first john chapter 4 dear friends let us continue to love one another for love comes from god any one who loves is a child of god and knows god that is why how the world will know That you're a child of God. This is how people will be drawn to God. The world is full of lost and lonely people who are desperate to be loved. And if they can come into a family where love is evident between us, where love binds us together, where my love for you and your love for me covers all my faults and my shortcomings that we live in forgiveness, that we don't gossip and backbite one another and, and, and keep um, resentment in our hearts towards one another. But above all, we love one another. Then people will know that we are Christians by our love because that's a supernatural love. So you need to activate your gifts, friends, but you need to have the right attitude. You need to serve in love. And that combination will bring the glory of God in the house and draw people to Jesus. Amen.